friends. <laughs> Welcome back to our podcast, Two Yoke Girls, uh, where Lorraine and I, Jillian, get together and discuss all the things that we feel like translate from our yoga practice and our yoga teachings to right in our very own lives. And today we're excited because we have yet again one of our favorite guests. This is our first two-time guest appearance, so she must be special. Yes, Dr. Belle Liang. Hi, Belle. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, you two. I'm so excited to be back again and so honored to be your only two-time guest. I didn't realize that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're excited too. I feel like a lot has happened in really good ways since the last time we were here together. And we left with the teaser that we wanted to do it again. And Mm -hmm. so I'm just so grateful that you remember things like that. And you take it to heart. And it says a lot about the way you approach life and work and relationships. And I was also listening to some of the bonus features in the book that you wrote, How to Navigate Life. And you return to your mentor who talks about how to untangle the pressures of society and student life. And so I just wanted to hear a little bit more about giving some practical advice with all the things um, in the world that we live in that's so achievement-based, that has stress levels and anxieties that feel like they go through the roof. Um, So I just wanted to hear a little bit about some of maybe the new findings that you guys have been looking at to help reduce some of that stress and anxiety and the things that feel like runaway trains in ourselves and then in our kids and how we're all trying to wrangle it. Um, I feel like you guys have helped us figure out one of the things that helps bring down those levels of stress and anxiety. Can you talk to that? Uh, Well, first of all, let me go back to what you said about um, my remembering about the second session. And I think I reached out to you and I said, what about our second um, session? And just say that, I do have selective memory (laughs) that part of, I think, living purposefully is recognizing that, you know, time is always feels short and life is short and all these things. And I don't necessarily take that as a, as a bad thing. I think it helps us to get clear on what our priorities are. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, over the last, um, I don't know, like many months since we last met, I've been going around the country, talking about purpose with all sorts of people, um, different kinds of people, students, parents, um, educators, people in the workplace. And it makes you have to think about your own purpose a lot. You know, like I think about what do I really want to be doing when I come back from, I'm on a sabbatical right now. When I come back from sabbatical, what do I want to be doing versus what do I just do because I'm on this train and I always have been doing it this way. And, and then part of the um, answer to that is like, who do I want to spend time with? Who do I want to, you know, see and um, really be doing life with. And so reaching out to you was very purposeful. It was very much like, okay, these two, I want to have another conversation with. And um, because because I love what they're about and what they're doing. And I just really enjoy who they are as people. Mm. Um, And so I don't think I necessarily have that memory for every other kind of opportunity that I have that comes before me. A lot of times I'm just like, I'm going to let that one go because part of being purposeful means not only saying yes to certain things, but, you know, as we all know, it means you have to say no to a lot of other things in order to make room in your life for that purpose. So I feel like that's lesson number one is being um, very intentional about how we spend our time and being brave about that. Meaning like, sometimes it means like take these things off your plate, even though it was expected that you should do that. And everybody always kind of counted on that being able to say, okay, I think that's not, that was for a season, you know, that was good for a time, but you know, they will go on without me if I am not doing that, that way anymore. Um, and then, you know, really taking chances and risks to do some of the things that you've wanted to do, but you didn't think you could, or you were afraid or, uh, whatever the, the obstacle is, um, 
saying yes to those things so that you can have that challenge and growth that you're longing for, even if it means, um, you know, a little bit of, you know, I don't know how this is going to go. We'll just try it. I love that. It makes me, that makes me think so much of the work that you do and Jill, the work that we do too. I think even this podcast feels like a leap of faith and something that I know I love doing, but I never know exactly how any of it's going to go. It's, it's not scripted and it feels like a co-creative experience, which again, brings me back to yoga. It feels like I'm not always sure how it's going to go. And we all take a leap of faith, whether it's the student or the teacher, we just commit to some time together. Um, And I think a lot of your message is being yourself. And that can be a tricky thing to do when we have expectations and even things that we want in our own lives. You know, it's tricky to know how to find that. So it's a beautiful answer to using your time wisely and creating the connections that you love and feel life sustaining. And I think there's a lot of that that relieves anxiety and stress. And then you just enjoy where you are as you're doing work that feels purposeful. Mm. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, it's so funny because I've been thinking a lot about this. My husband and I both <clears throat> have been talking about this. He keeps saying to me, well, what are your goals for 2023? Cause I'm a big goal person. I have a journal. I write them down. He writes me a note in the journal that like reinforces our goals And I can continue to come back to it. And I've just been like, I don't know. I don't know what my goals are. I haven't had time or I'm not inspired right yet to consider my goals. Um, And it's, it's this weird thing. Like when I turned 40, maybe, I definitely got more gray hairs. Who knew that that like legitimately happened when you turned 40? I all of a sudden got gray hair. But also like, you start to think about what is the purpose of life. And I think in your 20s and your 30s, first of all, you're busy. You're busy with your career and maybe you're making babies or whatever you're doing. Um, But there seems like almost this limitless potential, right? When you're in that in that phase of life, you can switch jobs, you can up and move, you can meet somebody new, you know, before you're married or whatever it is. But then you settle into this part of life where it feels like there is more at risk to changing or finding a different purpose in your life. And even if you would change nothing, I think that limiting thought can make finding what your purpose is more scary. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I feel like I want to live that life of purpose. And I've, I feel like I mostly do, but then I'm like, well, wait, is, is it, is, am I doing what I should be doing um, to like connect to whatever my purpose is? I don't know what my purpose is. Mm. Do you guys know? (laughs) Well, you're, first of all, you're saying so much good stuff before you pivot off of yourself and (laughs) yes um let's just camp there for a second because like first of all one thing that you said I thought was is so valuable which is this relationship that we all have to time and that we're scared of time running out Mm -hmm. oh it's this age-old fear of our mortality um you know some of us have even more of a fear because of a difficult diagnosis or somebody we love has had a diagnosis we've had losses we you know, know that, you know, more than we did, like maybe when we were in our twenties, that we are mortal. And while that could be seen as just purely a bad realization, a fearful one, um, I think that it can also make us really clear on our priorities. Right. And I see Lorraine, you're nodding. So I might ask you a question about that. It it, was that true for you. Um, For me, it's come through, um, you know, getting older and like you said, like milestones, like turning 40, then turning 50, then you have a loss, you have, you know, diagnosis, things like that. And, um, and I've noticed that as much as that is it, it presses on us. It all of a sudden also very much clarifies what we are about 
and what we don't want to be. We may not know exactly what our purpose is, Jillian, like you said, like you're, you're discovering it, but you know that probably I want to be making goals now that are more aligned with what really matters to me versus just like the next rung of the ladder, the next, you know, accomplishment that, you know, all the things that we had the luxury to pursue when we were in our twenties, thirties, you know, now it's like, okay, I don't even know if I want to come up with some empty, you know, new year's resolutions, unless they really matter to me. Mm -hmm. I need, I need a second to think about what that is. I think that's purpose there. I think that that is like purpose knocking at your door, telling you that at least there's some things I'm not going to be about anymore. Um, there's this like really this like sidebar is that um, this person, this reporter from HuffPost reached out to me to ask if she could interview me about this concept called um, Blue Monday. Have you heard of what Blue Monday is? No. I haven't heard about Blue Monday either. So it Blue Monday would have been yesterday, same day as Martin Luther King um, celebration. And essentially what I learned is that it's supposed to be the saddest day of the year. Hmm. And, um, it, you know, some, um, you know, some, somebody who was good at marketing fear came up with this concept for, um, people to believe that that is the saddest day of the year. And what it's, why it's sad, the saddest day of the year is that it comes after the whole, like, excitement of the holidays, buying things, materialism, thinking that that's going to make you happy. Two weeks after New Year's resolutions, realizing I'm not doing such a great job keeping my New Year's resolutions and seasonal effective darkness. And so all of this is supposed to converge on us feeling really badly. And even though there's not any research about that actually being the saddest day of the year, I think that it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think that actually there's something to realizing that when we set ourselves up for all of this, like, you know, hype and excitement around life, we can be disappointed and feel like an emptiness because those things don't actually bring us the joy and lasting peace that we long for. And so that's the maturity of the forties and fifties that what it could be when you, you know, kind of give that all up a little bit more, give it a rest and realize like, okay, you know what? I don't, I've kind of achieved those, some of those things already. I've kind of done those things and I'm not sure like that's all it's chalked up to be. It's given me opportunities, given me some, you know, great things, but I realized that there should be something more in my life now. So now I'm going back to Lorraine, because you were nodding before about, you know, when I said that life can sometimes bring us more clarity around what matters. So for you, has that, how has that happened? Yes. So even just going back to how we started the interview and you were talking about your sabbatical and how it's sort of coming to a place where you're starting to think about what do I want to achieve during that precious time that you take away from work because there's going to be an end point and then you're going to have to transition. And so it gives you the room to remember, I want to spend time here with these people. I want to revisit this. And it reminds me of that same life cycle of feeling like there's going to be an end point. And what did I miss? I don't want to miss the things that are really important, staying in this busyness. And so that's where it feels like, oh, I don't know exactly what I want the goal to be, but I, and it reminds me of having to backtrack. I know how I want to feel when I come to a place of living day in, day out. I have a sense of where I'm going. So absolutely, I think the ending can really help us inform what we're moving through and toward. And I think, you know, Jillian and I have talked about doing a podcast on death just because we don't get to talk about it enough as a culture, we avoid it. Um, I have contemplated being a death doula just because I think there's so much value and energy in that space of there's richness in any transition. And so <clears throat> 
I did get to feel like my life was reinformed when I lost my mom. I really marched through it with intention and was by her side as much as I could be so that I didn't look back and feel like I missed out or missed it or didn't take the opportunities that I had. And so, yes, I love being at a point where we can say, hmm, it's not as easy to just set a goal or pick a word or have a resolution. And the idea of Blue Monday is so funny in terms of confirmation bias. You know, you can feel a certain way if it's planted in your head. Our brains are so powerful. And I think solstice is a better way to look at it. You know, there's a little bit more nature behind the darkness and and it's the only way that you'll really see the light. And so there's more joy in that even. So when it's done in a way that's really real, an ending is a lovely new beginning. And I, I always, I, my college roommate, we were in grad school together. And she taught me the traditions of Chinese New Year. And so I always feel like that's when I actually begin. It feels like, oh, the kind of newness stuff has worn off. The stuff from the holidays is put away. And I can really get purposeful. And there's more behind it to look at what kind of year is predicted based on the Chinese zodiac. So anyway, yes, I think endings and moving into deeper phases give us real opportunity that if we're willing to talk about them, if we're willing to get beyond what we're sold and told, then Mm -hmm. it becomes this amazing, informative way to look at what's next and what we really want and why we're here. I'm going to remind you of this in February because this February is, is Lorraine's deep, dark pit time. <laughs> she totally it's February and then like spring comes, right? It's like that really yeah. muddy season before a little bit of light. Um, and it, it's it, when you guys were speaking, I, I want to bring it back really quick to myself. Of course, no. <laughs> we, we were going there anyway. No, yeah. but, um, to something Lorraine and I were prepping about, about your book and your work, which is like how to find that purpose in the structure of society that tells you to be achieve, achieve, achieve driven. And so I think for me, as you were talking, I was like, oh, well, maybe that's what it is. Because um, I think a lot of my mentality about feeling like, oh, there's some constraints around my life now in order to to prioritize the things that I find important are that those things are no longer financial things. Like my success, I think at the end of the day, I know deep in my core, my success isn't going to come from how much money I make or how high I go on the career ladder. It's going to be how well I raise these children and maintain this relationship with my husband and with my friends and my fam- my broader family. But at the same time, it's hard to accept that as like, okay, I'm going to, you know, essentially like with the studios, we tried expanding and I think we did a good job, but I realized after Burlington or even during Burlington like two was enough. And my priority from like really wanting to expand for, for many years, right? Eight years, right, Lorraine? Mm-hmm. Shifted. And I was like, I actually don't want to expand. Um, and But the realization of that and that I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would and that I have more focus on the kids because I need to and because I love to um, is just a different way of thinking, right? It's not like that normal in your 20s, like let's achieve, let's make more, make more money, make more babies, make bigger houses. Like it's different. It's let's maintain and help these other humans grow, Mm. if that makes sense. Yes. I, you're speaking to one of the things that I think I really like about getting older as much as like every, you know, you always hear it's unfortunate, like negative things about getting older, especially for women who feel like their beauty is tied to youth or something. But one of the things I love getting about, about getting older is that you have had some time to like explore and experiment with those other ways of thinking in so you've kind of like done some of those things and you realize like, oh, like you said, I didn't, I don't enjoy it as much as I thought I would when I achieved that, you know, when I had the multiple studios, like I too, isn't it like, how would you have known that if you hadn't gone and tried it? So I don't see it as like, you know, 
you're just making mistakes all the time. And finally you're figuring it out. I see it as like a necessary part of the purpose journey is you try different things and then you feel how they land and you kind of like have a chance to make a decision. Do I want to keep going down that road or, you know, maybe it's costing me too much. Maybe there are things that I value about it, but it's also costing me the things that I value even more Mm. Uh, because you probably are enjoying a lot of the success of the studios and seeing people's lives changed and, Mm. um, you know, really affecting change at even a more higher level, like with this podcast, like not just individual lives, but, you know, speaking, taking a bigger look at how, um, people's lives evolve and what's important, like trying to speak into that. And all of that is good. Great. And at the same time, you recognize like, I'm the only one who can be a good parent to myself. (laughs) You know, like I can keep doing this for everybody else, for my kids, for my partners in life, for my friends, for my business, for all of the causes, but I'm the only one who like really knows myself best and what it's costing me and what is of greatest value to me. And like, I want to go back to Lorraine, what you said, and also Jillian, I know you know the answer to this too for yourself is when you said like, I know how I want to feel that is like everything else is kind of the outlines. Like when we talk about purpose, we're not really talking about like purpose in terms of like a specific career path or vocation or job or whatever. It's, that's just the outlines. What we're talking about more is the through line. What is the through line of how you want to feel like what you most deeply value? If you didn't care what people thought you had the means to be able to do it, who would you want to be in the world? Because it feels great to you, not just because other people will be so approving of that and it will meet the expectations. Um, so I guess I'm just turning it back to both of you now. Like what, how, what does that inside part look like? Not just the outside lines of should I, should we grow the studio, like have more studios or should we be in this different line of work? Should we take on a podcast? Like what's the through line for each of you? How do you want to feel? Who do you want to be? Because it's delightful to you to be that. Yeah. I love that question, Bill, but I'm just to bring it back to all the listeners too, that idea of feeling your way through. And it reminds me of a story in the book when your husband, David said, you know, what, what is your purpose? And you said, it's to be a professor. And then he said, well, I think I think your purpose might be too small. No, no offense to professors or anything. They're great. Yeah. But yeah. I think that you have so much more. And that's where the book came from. The idea of it's bigger than just a role. Even in motherhood, it's bigger than just the role of mom because of how much of ourselves in our values it takes to really commit to a job that nobody gives you the real description of. And so it, is that and looking at also from the book our types and Jillian when you talked about I'm not sure you're a trailblazer and so that is really taking risks and pushing forward and being a leader and I think in the book it also says you can evolve right but not always easy to evolve and shift Mm -hmm. but you can and you start to think more about community less about self and it becomes a real evolution and a discussion as we try and figure all of this out and piece it together and live life lives of purpose. Um, in the book, they also say, everybody wants, just tell me what to do, Bill. Like, tell me how and what, and I'll do it. And all of this is really getting to that through line of, I, I mean, I can tell you certain things, but what's your real through line? What lights you up and how do you feel most excited? And in looking at it with students, same thing, like, what do you do first, like when you don't want to do any of your homework, which is the one that you grab first to actually get done? And there's a little clue in there of what you pick up when you're procrastinating for the other things. What makes you feel like, 
I'll do that or I'll call them. Let me talk to her. Let me make sure and double check so that it feels like that's ready to present. You know, the things for me, it really feels exciting to have conversations and find what lights people up and what makes their lives really happy um, and then trying it out and seeing if it works and makes my life happier and just finding little nuggets during a day where it's like, that's going right. There's confirmation. And so I think for me, it really is this community-driven purpose and finding it, whether it's in research that somebody else has done or even personal research and then feeling good in real life. You know, I, I think that social media um, eludes me because I love real life connections so much. And I think that's where I'll, I'll find fuel. Even if somebody's having a bad day, like call me, let's, let's figure it out and take it apart and then put it back together. I'm so excited by what you just said, because that right there sounds like your purpose, Lorraine. You just put it all like in a, you know, nutshell, just, you know, thinking off the top of your head, having real conversations, like where you are able to be authentic, where somebody's being authentic, you can recognize that and being able to take the truth from that and kind of spread it around, like share that you know, whether it's through podcasts, whether it's through a yoga practice, Mm -hmm. whether it's through, you know, some other community event, um, that is, feels very much like the through line, like the essence of Lorraine, like that feels so true to how I see you, Lorraine. Mm. Agreed. Like I, and it's easier for me to know what Lorraine's purpose in life is (laughs) to know my own. Well, that's why we need each other. Yeah. People can see things about us. Like I bet like Lorraine might have something to say about you, Jilly. <laughs> like what yes. you see, it's true yeah. yeah, I'm sure. But I think Lorraine has a uh, amazing ability to be self-aware um, and to really fight for what does above almost anything, like just makes her feel good, right? Even, mm-hmm. you know, above uh, just about anything, like what brings her back to feeling her purpose. Um, and I, but I think a lot of people struggle with even knowing what that is Mm -hmm. myself included, like having enough self-awareness. And I think there's a couple of things I've seen Lorraine do in the past years that I think probably one, she's what I call an old soul. And I think she just knows these things somehow, (laughs) but the other is therapy, right? I think you did a lot of good hard work in therapy. You walked through that moment in time or that big moment in time of life when you lost your mother. Um, and then, you know, you just continue to, to put in the work. And so maybe that's what it is. Like people need, I think the people who feel lost to find their purpose just need more self-exploration, more time to find that self-exploration. Belle, what is your purpose? What are your words? What is, what is it? I think I know it too. I'll get to that. You just said something else that I want to just say, speak to, which is what you said was so, so key about how people need time for exploration. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is where yoga really comes in. Yeah. At least it does for me whenever I practice yoga, which is not enough, but it's what it, what it really does for me is it slows everything down. You know, like it gives me a break from not only the world racing around me, but my own racing thoughts mm-hmm. that are not oftentimes like relevant at all to my purpose. They are like taking me away from it. It's this distraction. It's the worries. It's the, all the other junk that keeps us from living fully like in ourselves and, and authentically. And, and for me, like, I'm just never, I've never been a person who easily is able to slow down just by sitting, like sitting meditation. And that's why yoga is so powerful for me is the moving and the meditating together is that space that you're talking about that I need. So like for purpose, we always talk about how there's like several parts to being able to discover purpose. And the first is to attend to what's there already. Um, The second is to reflect on that, which is a little bit more of an active, you know, kind of playing with what's there, what you discover about yourself in order to do the piece that you're saying is so hard for people, which is, you know, you have 
tools in your reflection kit that helped you to identify what is truly me. Um, you look at signs of what you've what you've been delighted by, like in the things that you already do. And you recognize all oh, those are when I'm doing those things or when I'm in those spaces or when I'm with these people, that's when I experience some delight and peace. Um, so you need reflection to be able to do that. And then only then is it like the action? Is it the, okay, now I'm going to come up with my goals and, mm. and to work towards them versus the goals coming first. And they're somehow disembodied from what's there and what you really true knew, know to be who you are and what gives you joy. So I agree like that, that we all have different thresholds for how much attention and reflection and help and support and scaffolding we need for that. Some people do it very naturally, like Lorraine, you know, she's very self-aware and she, you know, but most people are probably not like that. That's why we wrote the book is that we want to provide some tools for how do you reflect? Like what questions would you be asking yourself? So for example, just to boil it down to one question, one question that we use a lot in our um, reflection is how do you want to be remembered? The, how do you want to be remembered questions is a very important one um, to me, because it means like when all is said and done, you know, who do I want to be? What do I want to be about? Um, and it, it kind of like makes you realize that time is short when you ask yourself that it's almost like, you know, like writing your own eulogy. And, um, so when I do that, when I ask myself, who do I, how do I want to be remembered? It's not really as a professor. So David was right. That's too small of a dream. It's not as somebody who wrote a book or did these things, how I want to be remembered is by certain character strengths that are more the core of who I am. And, and it takes time to practice living that because I'm always like struggling with like my performance nature. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll just give you like one really specific example is that um, I was giving a talk on Saturday to some like, young adults and, um, and they were let me just say like they were of an organization, they were in an organization where they, they have experienced a lot of like betrayal in their life and disconnection and reasons not to trust adults. So originally I went in there with my talk that I had prepared, you know, with my um, kind of my scripted talk and I started to give it. And then I noticed this like one young woman sort of like nodding off and it pushed a button. Like, I'm like, oh no, like I'm losing them. And, and normally that could throw me off my whole game. You know, it could make me anxious and then just press through with my, with my scripted thing even more and more constricted, you know, less able to give and be fully myself. But I just like took a deep breath inside myself. Like, I don't think this was any visible to them, but I, you know, I just gave myself some generosity and some, some love and compassion that, you know, I am here to be myself and to be fully offering of myself. So I, I physically, I literally stepped behind the table that I was at with my notes on it. And I just came up to them. It was just like a group of 13 and I started speaking with them and um, just like, let go. It was hard because it's like, letting go of my performance because I'm safer with my notes and everything I prepared and everything like that's, but that's not my purpose is to look good and to be fully, you know, kind of look together. That's, that's not my purpose. That's my performance mindset. You know, my purpose is, you know, I believe um, is to be somebody who can be more like a muse, like drawing out the creative energies of the people around me. It's more about them than it is about me showing off like what I know. Um, that is my calling. It also is what gives me joy. It's not just my responsibility that I've been given in life, but it's what gives me joy. And um, so I just was like, there's just this moment where I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm like, um, this isn't working. I'm letting go of the performance thing. And I'm just going to be myself, you know, and I just 
And it, it was such a shift in that, you know, at, at one point in the afternoon, I was doing another workshop in the afternoon and the same woman who was like nodding off. I hope she doesn't hear, <laughs> but I was just, I mean, I, she was, she was, she's in my mind now because it really was like, she taught me something because in the afternoon, when um, we were meeting again, at one point, she just like, she was nodding, but now like not, not nodding off, but like nodding, you know, like really with me. And, and I said something, it doesn't matter what I said, but I was like speaking from the heart, you know, and she just exclaimed. And at the same time she did like others, because she, she had such a strong energy in the room that they were all, you know, like responding, like in sync with her. She's like, why don't they teach us this in school? They need to teach us this in school. Like she just ex- like said this straight out, like mm-hmm. very, um, like in the moment, how she felt. And that thing that I did, that is not even like about, I, it doesn't even matter. Like the content of what I said, it was about me being fully in myself, you know, that she was responding to, and that I was responding to in them, you know, and clearly they're a group that has lots of reasons not to just respond in the scripted to scripts, <laughs> um, but to authenticity. So I guess like going back to your question, what is my purpose? Um, I think for myself, it's about living authentically. And I think for everybody else, to some extent, it is about authenticity and, um, and it's about helping others doing everything I can from my own journey, from the wisdom that's been given to me, from the mistakes that have been given to me to scaffold people to be able to discover their authentic self and that their authentic self, their authentic identity is the through line that takes them through different walks of life, different vocations that might be changing, but that through line stays the same. So for me, it's to be somebody who facilitates that journey in others. Well, and I love that one really quick, Jill, hold your thought. Um, But I love that bell because getting out from behind your notes took courage. And so part of that through line is also healing away the layers of conditioning that may have held you back in another lifetime, or if you didn't have the supports and the courage to jump beyond the perfected presenter into a place of let's just try this and see if that connects. There's also a tie to yoga teaching that once the teacher is willing to be in the class, not as a demonstrator doing the postures perfectly, but actually allowing a connection where you can can watch and see the connection is so much stronger because you take a risk of using your words and being in the room with other people who are also vulnerable and trying to figure it out. And then it's co-creative again. So you step off the mat into the room, you step from behind the podium into the group, and then that's where the magic happens. It makes me think of the class I took with you as an undergrad. It was group counseling and you allowed all of us to take the pieces and play with it and let it get messy and I think sometimes our culture doesn't prioritize the messiness of the creation to get to the connections that we're making to find the purpose and so I love that story it says a lot about your purpose and how you get there and how we all get there um so sorry to interrupt Jill oh yeah yeah, I'm interested in hearing more about that. Tell yeah. me what was on your mind, Jill. Well, I was just, I had a, I have a question and I'll loop back to it, but that's so exactly right about being a yoga teacher. The same is exactly true. So it's not, and people don't even know this, like people in the class don't know it and newer teachers don't know it. But when we receive feedback about a teacher, it's not what they said or how they said it. It's really not the movement it's how they made the people in the room feel. And there's an energetic exchange and connection. There's some meme on the internet, on the Facebook, that's like, I want to be remembered not for what I said or what I did, but how I made people feel. That's yeah. exactly. It's my Angelou's quote. Yes, yes, yeah. my Angelou's. Yes, exactly. Um, and so there's no, no, and we talk about this a lot, like how in teacher training can we, and teacher training is 200 hours of self-exploration, essentially. 
So it helps break down that um, wall that people put up. But then when they get back into the, then when they first start teaching, the wall comes right back up because they're nervous, because they're in a spot that they're not comfortable with. But as they continue practicing and the, the surface things like how their voice sounds or what their cues are, as that starts to become ingrained, their true energy starts to come out. What they're really giving people, which is not words or postures, there's an energy that everybody has. And the people that that connects with finds them, right? The mm -hmm. energy that people need, like whether it's my like encouraging up energy or it's Lorraine's like grounding, um, releasing energy, like people find their people and that's what they connect to. And so, but it takes a lot of courage to get there. Like mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time and practice and the surface things like we were talking about have to kind of fade away for you to find the through line, mm -hmm. uh, which is like your true, your true essence. Mm -hmm. um, but I was going to ask, and we yeah. can come back to this if you want, does your okay. purpose always have to be for, is a, is a, on, is a purpose that is good have to be an element of selflessness? Mm. Right. Because mm -hmm. like Lorraine's purpose is building community and connecting. It, uh, it lights her up. It gives her joy, but it also does a bigger thing for other people. Same with yours, Belle, like your lights you up, but you're helping other people find their authentic self. Does somebody's purpose always have to be selfless in some way? So that's such an interesting question, um, Jill, because, you know, the re in the research that we've done, we have studied, and we're not the only lab who's done this, studied what we call like self-oriented purpose, which is like doesn't have an other-oriented contribution-oriented aspect to it and other-oriented purpose, which is has this, con this contribution piece to it. And the research shows that, interestingly, other-oriented purpose is much more associated with the positive outcomes of even personal well-being and ultimately even personal success, believe it or not, like you, it seems counterintuitive. Like if you're focusing just on your own success for your own success sake, shouldn't you be further ahead? Shouldn't you be happier because you're not worrying about the other needs in the world, but yet that's not how the research bears out. The research shows that purpose that has this other, this contribution part of it is more associated with all sorts of psychological well-being and health outcomes, as well as academic and vocational success. So the research definition of purpose that we use when we're doing our studies is um, that you would be living a life that is personally meaningful. So there's that personal part and intended to contribute to the world beyond yourself. It doesn't matter like whether or not you actually contribute because who's judging, you know, it's the intention to contribute. So when we unpack that and try to understand why is that contribution so helpful to you personally, like to have that intention to contribute, it's because it's a relief to be able to take your emphasis off of me all the time, my needs, my failings, my lack of, you know, and therefore need to build myself up, build myself up, build myself up. That is very stressful. You know, that's the source of a lot of anxiety when our, in our studies of our students, um, young um, people who are in, let's say high achieving communities, some of the um, worst aspects of their stress are feeling like they have to measure up to people, right? And um, like when we did this study, a longitudinal study of girls, I don't know, did I mention this last time in our last podcast? I don't I think so. Okay, so just really quickly, this at this high achieving school, um, the head of the school um, came to me and said, you know, can you help us understand what's going on with our students? They are achieving more than ever. You know, they're getting higher test scores. They're getting into highly selective universities. They are, um, you know, getting all these accolades and leadership and all this stuff. But um, our parents are telling us that they are, um, they are just 
overwhelmed with stress and anxiety and all sorts of um, um, mental health problems. Uh, can you help us understand what's going on with them? How can we help them? And so when we interviewed and, and surveyed these students um, in these two schools, we found that indeed they said things, these students said things like, you know, I'm, I, I'm a straight A student, but I have, I cry myself to sleep every day. I feel sick to my stomach when I'm going to school. I often even wonder like whether my life is of any value. Mm. Um, and these are like highly privileged, you know, have, you think that they have every reason to feel like they've got it together and joyful and hopeful about their future, but it's exactly opposite. But there was this one subset of students who had very different reactions to the same kinds of academic pressures and social pressures around them. And they said to us, like, I'm so excited about getting to do X, Y, Z, going to such and such school or this program, whatever, because I will get to learn the skills that I need to do in order to make this impact in the world, you know, and, and the impact could have been just like help my parents with their business or help my brother with this particular, you know, illness that he has and learn something more about that. Or it was some intention to contribute that released them from this constant worry about I'm not measuring up. It was like, not about them, their journey. And so that meant that if they failed an exam or whatever, nobody was going to co-op their identity and make them feel less than because they were still going to go do that thing that they were planning on doing. So that's kind of a long winded answer to mm. your question. Um, it's not a judgment. Like there's plenty of people who haven't discovered like what they, they love doing a certain thing, but they haven't quite figured out like that. It, it, it also contributes almost anything can be a contribution. It's not just like there's certain like better vocations that are contributing. Um, you could be somebody who never interacts with people. And yet the work that you're doing is making a contribution in some way. And at the moment you become aware of that, that is a great unlock. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I, I feel like sometimes there's, um, this preconceived notion, or I have a preconceived notion that I, you know, have more independent tendencies or selfish tendencies, but when it comes down to it, I think like, when I think about the things that light me up, they're also things that contribute like the yoga studio, which like you said, does contribute to people's well-being all the time. I think people just are hard on themselves, myself yeah. included. Well, it just reminds me that last time we were talking about what we thought your value archetype was, and we thought you know that you are an innovator and innovators have, uh, sometimes I want to give you the, the, the actual quiz and see whether or not it's, you know, lined up with what we think of you. But what we think is that you have the value of high growth versus high stability, which is stability people are, they also value growth, but they just prioritize stability. Like all, all those students that I talked about, because they came from broken homes, like they value stability over growth. Um, and they may move towards growth, but at, at this point, this is what they're lacking and they, what, what they, what they care about. Yeah. So for you, it's, it may be like, you know, change is opportunity more than change is threat. And then on the other axis, we have, um, individualism versus collectivism. And again, there's not one better value. It's just what you prioritize first. So I like to put it as you might be a person who, you know, would more likely believe that when I win, we win versus when we win, I win. So in both cases, you still care that we win, that the family wins or whatever, but your way of helping the family win is I got to win. I got to, you know, lead with what is true for me. And, you know, I'm good at, you know, kind of being that initiator. And so, um, you know, so innovators are people who to make contributions, even though it's not like they're, they feel like they've got to lead with, okay, I want to make sure all everybody's happy here and every, everybody else is winning first. And then I'll think about like, you know, what's, you know, what, how, how can I take care of myself or, you know, how can I win? Um, so, you know, I think that that is just, sometimes we, we have different priorities that we lead with, mm. but it doesn't mean that if we're not prioritizing, like leading with 
collectivism that we aren't making contributions to the collectives that are that we are around all the time yes we all can't be or wouldn't be happy being the dalai lama or you know no. <laughs> no. you know and we need the innovators and the, the society is being pushed to move forward by innovators. And we might not always like appreciate what they have to like, you know, we look at Elon Musk as like an innovator, you know, like not all of them are necessarily what we aspire to, but we need innovators who are disrupting mm. and they are making us uncomfortable, you know, because we can't stay here forever. You know, we need to be like expanding and expanding our minds and moving forward into the future. And that means that we need the innovators who are disrupting what we are so cozy, like kind of hunkering down in and shaking it up a little bit and saying, you know, no, we're moving to a new idea now. Um, and so that there's a hugely important place for those innovators in our, in our midst. But we need us all. I think that's the, the base, right? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think it's easy being a disruptor. And I think that's where it can feel a little bit lonely, even though your purpose is bigger. I also think that research points to the idea of perspective, of having a, a, a vision that's beyond yourself. And I think it's really easy to spiral when it's only a you-based goal or kind of vision. And once it opens up, the possibilities open up too with the perspective and the fact that we're social animals. We're designed to be together and work together. And I think that's where a lot of the purpose and the vision can come from and the learning. You, you see different perspectives because of the people that you value and that you're exposed to. It's such good stuff. Thank you guys wow. for my therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> you sent me the bill. Mutual. <laughs> yes, mutual. Um, Belle, thank you so much for your work. I yes. have loved reading and listening to How to Navigate Life. And I think you said that you hoped that it was refreshing for people. And it is. It's really refreshing because it gives us the space to look inside and to find our own answers and to remember that they're actually there if we can find a way to unearth some of that and even be patient with the process, be patient with our children as they go through the process, as we raise them and have to redefine ourselves too. So it's really interesting work and it collides beautifully with yoga and meditation and finding stillness. And there's even a message in there that less is more. I think when we're driven, we always think that more is more and better. Um, in there, there's a lot of that feeling of less. And Jillian, I think it's like what you said, the idea of it could be a phase in life where it's a little less accumulating and acquiring to find the more and the joy and the richness. So oh, it's good stuff. Thank okay. you for coming back, Belle, and having a conversation and initiating yes. the conversation and doing all the work that you do in the world to help us find that through line. Oh, right back at you. I'm so incredibly inspired by what you all are doing at LPY. And thank you so much for that brings me so much joy knowing that you all are out there doing it in your own ways, whether it's as innovators, as builders, as champions, as guardians, whatever, however your approach is to life that you are adding so much to all of our lives. So mm. thank you. Well, likewise, to seeing each other in the studio, hopefully soon, maybe before you're back from your sabbatical or even I after. I a membership, so yes, I will be back. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I'll play us out and just so grateful for you for listening yes. and doing the work and championing your goals and visions. We're here to help and support. So this is our guy, Mike Borgonzano, who plays us out and has promised to come on the podcast because he has a new album that just dropped. Ooh. So on Spotify, he's known as Mikey Bikes, and his next album might actually be by his real name. So talk about stepping out from behind the platform. That's Mike Borgonzano. Hopefully we'll see you soon. If you really want to be a dream, but you can't be a dream.